Every season is spooky season in our book. So settle in and prepare to be shook. You are listening to Shook, a comedic podcast about all things paranormal and unexplained. I'm Santa. Hey, y'all. I'm Amanda. And fun fact, I actually have two today. At the time that this airs, March 22nd, at that point, the season two premiere of Yellow Jackets, my favorite show, will literally be days away. Uh, Sunday, March 26th, if I'm not mistaken. So if you love Yellow Jackets too, please slide in our DMs or even just my DMs after the premiere so we can talk the hot goss because all I got to say yes. is buzz, buzz, buzz. <laughs> this is a Yellow Jacket Stan podcast. Absolutely. Basically, we fucking love that show. Seriously. I didn't realize the- it was already coming. I know. It's so crazy. Season I feel two. like I've waited for years. It feels like years. But I did a TikTok slash reel a long time ago and reposted it to my Instagram recently of me eating beef jerky, if you know, you know, and wearing uh, an antler crown, if you know, you know. And uh, the Yellow Jacket social team commented on it. They said, beef jerky, really? Which is an iconic line from the show. And I was like, ah, they actually responded. Yes, uh, Yellow Jackets, know that you exist. And Sammy, uh, the gal who plays young Misty, she responded to my TikTok version of it way back oh hell like, yeah oh she God. is an she's cool icon she's amazing she's such a sweetheart but anyway what's your fun fact so my fun fact which is also our fun fact this is our 20th episode which is kind of a bd big deal um <laughs> because we're still really new but like look Amanda and I as we said in episode one are two neurodivergent queens And the fact that we've managed to consistently put out episodes for 20 episodes worth of episodes, it's kind of huge. It is. It's a huge feat for us that we've managed to make this actually happen from the ground up and keep it going. And it's also amazing that people listen to it and leave us reviews and like and subscribe and comment and engage with us like all of those things have helped us to keep going and keep growing and yeah my fun fact is thank you to everyone listening for you know helping us get to 20 episodes because honestly like the way the way that I'm so defeatist sometimes if I wasn't seeing any growth in our analytics and things at all I would be getting a little bummed out and like wanting to give up but like every time we release an episode we see growth and Mm -hmm. that's amazing and so thank you to everyone who listens to us and continues to listen to us we love you and we're not sorry (laughs) thank you we love you guys like the community that we're slowly building I just never in my wildest dreams like Like you said, we're still spring chickens out here in comparison. But, like, shout out to Two Girls, One Ghost, who did a promo swap with us. Anybody else who's lined up to do a promo swap. Honestly, that's that's how we get, you know, in front of new listeners. And we appreciate you guys interacting with us on social media. And, honestly, it's just a blessing. So, from the bottom of our hearts, thank you. I have to tell you something, Santa. I purchased another print from Laura. 
And don't you worry, I'm going to get you one too. But look. How iconic. How iconic. It's the one. Yes. We've been been eyeing that one. Yeah. I was like, Laura, this is going to be my next purchase. And she was like, I'll send it to you. I was like, no, no, I'm going to pay you because you're an artist and that is how it works. I'm not going to take, accept a freebie. You can send us a little Christmas gift, but no, we're paying for your work, Laura. (laughs) We are. We are. Whether you like it or not. I love that one. That one is absolutely iconic. I loved also, like, the other day she posted uh, her painting, the Gary and Ghostface one, and Mm -hmm. the audio or the music that she used in the background was the Peaky Blinders theme song. And so I was like, girl, yeah, because we (laughs) talked about Peaky Blinders on the last episode, and I was like, the stars align. The stars always align with Laura's beating art. Honestly, Laura, if you're listening, we are your biggest stands. We um, are for realsies. Um, Fight us yeah. if you want. Yeah, come at me. <laughs> Do you have a second fun fact by chance? If not, I have nothing else. So <laughs> I have a second fun fact. Yes. Um, I want to shout out my mom and Richard, my stepdad, because they came up to see me yesterday and they brought me a giant 60-inch TV <gasps> and mounted it for me in my living room. And so now I basically have a home theater and the vibes are immaculate in there. I love it. And yeah, so thank you, Mom and Richard, for coming and bringing me this giant TV. Oh, heck yes. And perfect timing. My life. Yeah, perfect <laughs> timing with Yellow Jackets coming out. So Yes, I can watch Yellow Jackets on a giant TV. Yes. <laughs> And my mom loves yellow jackets too, so. Really? Yeah. I love it. I love to see it. Yeah. But that's pretty much all. Um, What story had you shook this week? Well, I do have a story, obviously. But before I tell you what story had me shook this week, let's hear a word from our friends at Alluring Podcast. Hey there, campers. My name's Kimmy. And my name's Ryan. We've noticed you stumbled upon our mystical campfire, so that means there's a solid chance you have some questions. Like... Why am I here? What's going on? And why are there cryptid and folklore creatures everywhere? And should I be worried about the Mothman dressed as a camp counselor swooping down to steal my s'mores? Well, you've stumbled upon the Alluring Campgrounds. Alluring is a folklore podcast where every episode we dive into the history and lore of different creatures and cryptids you see wandering around these campgrounds. And during each episode, we discuss the sightings, encounters, poems, history, fun, facts, and pop culture focused on our campfire topic that week. We hope through shared experience, we can learn and make light about all the unknown corners of the universe. So come take a seat around the campfire, make yourself at home, and listen to Alluring Today anywhere podcasts are heard. Or watch videos on YouTube, or even go to our website, alluring.com. That's A-L-O-R-E-I-N-G dot com. Okay, so... The story that had me shook this week is one in which that I have had several paranormal experiences myself. The Sorel Weed House. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So sitting at the corner of Bull Street and West Harris Street in my favorite city, Savannah, Georgia, sits one of the most haunted homes in the United States of America, the Sorel Weed House. 
This beautiful stucco Greek revival styled mansion was built for $12,000 in 1840s money. No idea what that is now, but it has to be a lot. It was built for a man named Francis Sorel, a half Haitian, half French shipping merchant who was born in 1793 and later died in 1870. Before he found himself in Savannah, Francis Sorel grew up in what is now Haiti during the Haitian Revolution with his father, a slave owner at a sugarcane plantation. Allegedly, Francis's father abandoned him, leaving him one day to never return. His mother was not in the picture at all, as she's believed to have been a quote-unquote free black woman who died shortly after Francis was born. And as you will come to learn as the story progresses, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. This Francis Sorrell character was a piece of garbage and a total waste of carbon, at least in my opinion. We'll circle back to that, but basically his situation in adulthood, how do I say this? It's giving daddy issues. Ooh, we'll get to it. <laughs> this mansion was not only Francis Sorrell's family home, but it was also the ultimate party house for Savannah, Georgia's most affluent residents. And I have to say it once again, it was basically Savannah's hottest club. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like oh, it was. God. Right. But you'll come to learn this home was not all fun and games. In fact, the home itself, as well as the land surrounding it, has a gruesome past. In 1859, after some tragic events took place while Francis maintained ownership, a man named Henry Davis Weed then purchased the home and Francis moved nearby, giving its name the Sorrell Weed House, which is sometimes hyphenated, sometimes not. I'm not really sure. I've always hyphenated it, but whatever. This home is now open to the public as a historic museum and offers ghost tours every evening. And spoiler alert, I have been to the Sorrell Weed House and the ghost tours at least half a dozen times in my life. Each time with a different guide and every single time I feel something or even see something. Now, many tour guides at the Sorrell Weed House are firm believers that Francis Sorrell himself likes to make his presence known especially in the dining room of the house, which is one of the largest homes in Savannah, clocking in at 16,000 square feet. That is a whole lot of house. Now, like I said, I've been in the Sorrell Weed House multiple times, and not once that I can recall have I ever seen certain parts of the house, and that includes the dining room. It seems that of the gigantic square footage, we only get to see a glimpse of what this beautiful, sinister house has to offer. But even in the limited exposure I've had, I've had so many experiences that I can't explain. Now, Shane and Ryan from BuzzFeed Unsolved, they visited this place and they did get access to the dining room. And they sat at the dining room table to try to make contact with the other side. They asked any spirit that may be present to move a candle or a chair or something. But that part was pretty anticlimactic. Nothing really happened. And so they decide that they're going to go to the two adjoining parlor rooms. And in these parlor rooms is where Francis Sorrell hosted his many parties. And according to Ryan, people who go on this ghost tour report smelling cigar smoke and brandy in these parlor rooms. I myself have been in these parlor rooms. And although I have never smelled anything, I was, however, once convinced that I heard soft piano music playing and 
not really sure where that came from. It's giving Phantom of the Opera. <laughs> yes. I, I don't really know, but I swear to goodness I heard a piano. Um, <laughs> and another time, to set the scene, in one of the parlor rooms, there is a glass enclosure with figurine-sized chairs, maybe some tables and other furniture that's kind of up against one of the corners of the parlor room, right? Well, one of the times that I visited... I saw one of the tiny chairs inside the enclosure knocked over. Only one chair. Don't know what that's all about because this place was, like, this thing was glassed over. So that's just one little thing. Ooh. It, get, it, gets, it gets more twisted, you'll see. All right, so back to BuzzFeed Unsolved. After Shane and Ryan have an uneventful time in the dining room, they go to these parlor rooms, and they sit in one of the OG couches, and they start calling out to the spirits that may be present. And suddenly, they get what they wish for, their very first spouts of paranormal activity in the home. Above the sofa, where they're sitting and conversing, you can hear very distinct footsteps above them. Now, keep in mind, Shane and Ryan, and really any ghost hunting team that goes to this house and is allowed exclusive access, they are in the home completely alone. They were essentially home away from home alone. (laughs) Um... (laughs) And for some reason, they just hear this. It's very strange. And when I say they were alone, there's a reason why they were not even able to go upstairs to investigate further. And that's because the upstairs is basically condemned. So if they had gone up there, there's a chance that they could have fallen through the ceiling, basically. And let me tell you, the sound of these footsteps, it's not just like a light-footed shuffle here and there or a creak. It literally sounded like someone was stomping around in high heels or what tap dancers would wear. It was kind of a sharp, almost hoof-like sound. Not a wishy-washy sound that could be brushed away as something else. I don't know. That was kind of freaky to me. So even Shane, who is known for being kind of a skeptic, you know, Shane's kind of like the yin to his yang, right? Super skeptical of the paranormal world. Even he says during the commotion, there's someone upstairs or there's someone here, something along those lines. And Ryan, he's just like, oh my gosh, I have chills. Typical Ryan. (laughs) So if you ask me, that was a pretty gosh darn good piece of evidence coming from those two. On one tour that I did in the parlor rooms, the guide showed a photograph sent by a former tour guest named David Duran that simply sent chills down my spine. So David published an article about his experience along with the photos that he took in 2016. So Santa, I did send you some photos. It's the article screenshot and then the two photos in the parlor room with the mirror. Do you see it? Yes. Okay. So the photo. In one of these parlor rooms, there's a giant mirror and David had taken a couple of photos in that mirror and the reflection of all the guests that were with him. In the first photo, you'll see nothing unusual, just the folks on the tour. Then, in another photo, snapped very quickly after that, you'll see a semi-long-haired man, it's about shoulder-length hair, who looks to be wearing a white shirt and suspenders. And guess what? He was not on the tour. It's giving period clothing. Look close. (laughs) Yeah, it is. He's going, when you're looking at the photo, this apparition is going to be on the right side of the mirror. Yeah, I see him. Spooky Yuki, right? Not sure who that guy is. Not sure who that guy is. Honestly, looks like a modern day hipster to me. (laughs) Looks like somebody from East Nashville. 
Just go on and get him a PBR. That's all he wants. Just, just grab him a PBR. <laughs> okay, so again, back to BuzzFeed Unsolved. Shane and Ryan, they leave this parlor room and they walk up to the bottom of the stairs, which obviously leads to the upstairs floor. And obviously because it's condemned, the stairs are roped off. I've seen these stairs in person a billion times. No one's allowed to go up there, not even the tour guides. So as soon as Ryan get there, they're waiting at the bottom of the stairs for more evidence. And suddenly you hear a disembodied voice coming from above their heads. Very clearly, someone is speaking. Again, they're alone. No idea what's going on there. Then Ryan suddenly says our favorite saying, I'm shook. (laughs) Yes. Because right after they heard that voice, They both suddenly hear a loud bark coming from inside the house. Again, they're alone. And I will say that Savannah is an extremely dog-friendly city. There are always people walking their pooches along the different squares and on the street. And I personally don't think that there was a ghost dog in the house. I think it really did come from outside, Um, maybe even near like Madison Square or something. So Mr. Francis Sorrell, he had a son named Frank Sorrell, who was a doctor, and he often liked to operate out of the basement of their home. Frank allegedly called this room his surgery room. And in this dark, cold basement is where he performed emergency surgeries related to physical trauma. There have been reports from various tour guides that guests who visit the basement experience a pretty big uptick in paranormal activity, including feeling as if they've been touched, feeling especially cold pockets, seeing a little girl spirit who moves chairs, and even seeing a black shadowy figure pacing the room. And in this basement is where I have had some of the most terrifying paranormal experiences of my life. As for me, I am one of the people who have felt this dark presence, not once, but multiple times on several different tours. So with that said, here are some of the things that have happened to me while visiting the basement, a.k.a the surgery room at this mansion. On one ghost tour in particular, my mom and I were given the option to use EMF detectors. Just a quick recap on EMF detectors. Basically, they detect any changes in the electromagnetic field of any given place. And my mom and I decided that we were going to partake. I don't know if I should have. So we both got different readings at different points of the tour, and we tried to split up, you know, divide and conquer kind of situation to see if we got any separate evidence and we could compare notes afterwards. Well, once I got into the basement, I felt an immediate shift in energy. I felt a chill down my spine and my EMF detector in certain parts of the basement was out of control, like off the charts. I believe it was a shadow entity that caused the hair on the back of my neck to stand up because as I approached a dark corner of the basement, I asked aloud, are you a good spirit? And as soon as I asked, my EMF detector lit all the way up to the bright orange-red color. This whole time, mind you, my mom is getting like two or three dots lit up, the green-yellow. So I personally take that as an intelligent response. And not only that, but when I asked that question and got the response, I got nauseous. Like I thought I was going to have to leave and throw up. It was very strange because I hadn't, as far as I know, hadn't eaten any bad shellfish, you feel me? So I was just like, oh, God. And it all subsided when I left. On a separate trip to the Sorrel Weed House, 
which was actually the day after my wedding. Uh, I got married at the DeSoto Hotel, not far from there. A yeah. few of my bridesmaids, yeah, a few of my bridesmaids, a couple groomsmen, and some other guests came along the day after our wedding for this tour. And this time we were not provided with the EMF detectors. However, when we went into the basement again, I felt another shift of energy. And if you've never been on a ghost tour at the Sorel Weed House, the basement has a window looking out into the courtyard, not far from the dark corner where I had my first paranormal encounter. I was not having any luck capturing any photo or video evidence as I gazed around. So what I did was I took my phone and basically started recording selfie mode behind my shoulder, thinking maybe if the shadow person thinks I'm looking, they won't present themselves. But if it's a ha 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 fake out, then maybe they'll show up. Well, guess what? As we're leaving the basement, I start to review the video that I had taken from over my shoulder and darting quickly in the courtyard just outside the basement window, I capture a tall, extremely quick black shadow figure dart past the window. Keep in mind, there's not supposed to be anyone else except for the tour guide, the guests, and there might be a ticketing person outside the gate. There shouldn't have been anyone walking around in the courtyard. So I actually have that video sent to you. I'm really hoping it is a person, but it is the video that's marked at like 1.22. It's a minute and 22 seconds, I think. But it, the action happens very quickly in the beginning. Just keep an eye on the red and you'll see something quickly dart. Oh, I saw that. It was fast. Very fast. Ugh. Yeah, it's definitely very difficult to say because that's in the dark. And so it looks like a silhouette of like a person, mm -hmm. you know? So. Very tall, skinny, almost looked as if it had a neck that was paper thin. And it was walking so fast, it, it came off to me as if, I don't know, maybe it belonged from the Twilight Saga. I don't know. I'm incredibly it was walking. Fast. It was walking like, <laughs> like this. And yeah, it was quick. It looked like it could have been the same person from that other photo, like as far as the lankiness. Oh, I didn't even think about that. Perhaps it's the same ghost. Oh my God. Okay, back to Shane and Ryan from BuzzFeed Unsolved. When they go to the basement, they call out to the little girl that allegedly lives down there and they received... Several pretty indistinguishable EVPs, and one of the voices that they capture, especially, sounds like it could be from a little girl. Now, I mentioned that Francis Sorrell was kind of a piece of shit, um, and a big chunk of the reasoning behind me saying that is because of how he treated his wife, Matilda Sorrell, and a slave named Molly. His wife, Matilda, by the way, was his second wife and the sister of his first wife, who died tragically Ew. of yellow fever, which killed so many people back in the day. Like, we're talking thousands of people. I mean, keep it in the gosh darn family. Am I right? Mm-hmm. It's giving sister wives. Um, it's giving she was waiting in the wings for her sister to die. Yeah. So she could so, swoop in. I know it was different times back then, but I feel like that's kind of shady to do that. I don't know. I, I just don't like that. Weird. I would haunt the shit out of my sister. Yeah, and guess what? It gets worse. At the young age of 54, Sorrell's wife, Matilda, fell, or perhaps jumped to her death, from the second or third floor of the house on West Harris Street. 
The area where she allegedly landed just so happens to be the courtyard where I caught that video of the shadow figure. Her cause of death was officially reported as a concussion. However, many speculate that it was indeed suicide. But why would she choose to die by suicide? First and foremost, mental illness was not considered or taken seriously back then. And some speculate that she suffered from depression. Man, I wish I could give her some of my Wellbutrin if that's the case. But uh, others say that this is where the slave named Molly came into the picture. Some tour guides will tell you that it's because Frances Sorrell and Molly were, quote-unquote, having an affair. The reality is, to me anyway, with that imbalance of power, the vulnerability that Molly faced as being a freaking slave, it's my personal bet that it wasn't consensual and it was rape. He, he raped her. And I have something to tell you later that kind of corroborates that. So my husband is a skeptic, and when we toured the slave quarters, even Connolly said that he felt the energy of intense sadness and dread in the slave quarter walls. Sadness that was not his own, it just radiated at him. And one time after a tour, I'm not sure if it was this time or another, we were walking past Chippewa Square when Connolly noticed he had three scratch marks on his arm. I sent you a picture of that as well. We're not really sure where that came from because we were staying away from any brush. We kept to each other while we were walking. We weren't bumping up against twigs. He wasn't scratching himself. There were surprisingly not a lot of mosquitoes. Mark. It's kind of, the other two are kind of faint. There's one prominent one, but. Yeah. I, I remember that. he, yeah, he noticed it and he thought that was so weird. He was like, I don't, he was like, this burns and I don't know where it came from. And that was right after we had left one of the tours. This is going to be the first of many Savannah stories that I tell because, like I said, it's my favorite fucking city. I love Savannah. I got married in Savannah. And I've been to several haunted locations, one of which has some embarrassing content. The story itself does that I <laughs> I don't care to share publicly. But if you're willing to go on Patreon, I might share it there. Cause Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's – uh. It's something else. It's it's from a different location in Savannah, but yeah. More on I'm that dying later. to hear that one. Oh, God. I even have photographs. You'll, you'll see. It's a whole thing. Okay. Another thing that you should know about Savannah itself is that it was a huge player in the American Revolutionary War. In the Siege of Savannah, which took place in 1779, if I'm not mistaken, was known as the bloodiest hour of the revolution. This battle is said to have claimed over 1,000 lives, and the Sorrel Weed House sits very close to Madison Square, one of Savannah's 22 squares, where many people lost their lives in battle. So basically, in addition to the Revolutionary War, the Yellow Fever pandemic or epidemic, the Civil War and more, when you walk the streets of Savannah, you are essentially walking over dead bodies. And some of those dead bodies might just lay underneath the courtyard where Matilda Sorrell died. It is even rumored that the land on which the Sorrell Weed House sits may have also been the housing for British soldiers during the Siege of Savannah, and 12 of those British soldiers were killed by a cannonball. So in BuzzFeed Unsolved, Shane has his back turned to the basement stairs to face Ryan when suddenly Ryan freaks out, stating that behind Shane and up against the stairs, going up to the main floor, he saw a head and a pair of shoulders floating behind him. 
and oh my god, they review the footage, and I can kind of see it. It looks like there's a floating spirit of some kind walking behind Shane. God, I, I, I hate that basement. Now, the shadow figure that I mentioned earlier is often seen in the breezeway of the basement, and one tour guide had a guest who reportedly sat in the chair that's in this breezeway, and quote-unquote experienced every single emotion he could possibly feel and ran screaming out of the house. It's an overwhelming place and I I believe it. Uh, I'm not joking like it's extremely uncomfortable and especially if you're a sensitive empath. So lots of other ghost hunting shows have been to the Sorrel Weed House. Obviously not just BuzzFeed Unsolved. Long ago I saw an episode of Ghost Adventures that covered it and also Ghost Hunters and I could not find either of those episodes on Discovery Plus or Hulu. I really wanted a refresher, but I think my Hulu subscription needs to be updated to premium. Make it a supreme. (laughs) So unfortunately, I couldn't find that. But the Ghost Hunters team who visited also, they got some of the strongest evidence I've ever heard. So at the beginning of these tours, they normally will show you a video about the history of the Sorrel Weed House. And they play a clip from, if I remember correctly, Ghost Hunters, which contains a particularly spooky and heartbreaking EVP. In that EVP, clear as day, you can hear a woman shouting, Oh God, help, help. I have chills right now. And I don't remember if they established if it was Matilda after she fell, because it's unclear if she died instantly. And also, if it's not Matilda... Remember the rape situation yeah, with slave Molly. It breaks my heart what what Molly went through and what Matilda went through. I just, ah. But I will leave you with this. When I was going through my old photos today, I literally cataloged, went through all of my photos and videos from Savannah. And as I was doing that, I realized there were some photos and videos that have some strange things going on. There are some other photos that are in there that you can look at now or later, but I realized a lot of my photos were live photos. Oh, yeah. And in several of them, a shadow, a dark shadow cuts out of the edge of the photo. There is one video in particular where you can see the red from the light shining outside the window to the courtyard. And you can see someone holding a lamp, but if you look to the left side, it looks like a white wispy apparition of a little girl. Yeah. I see, you see that? someone holding a lamp. My first thought was that it was a reflection from the lamp, but it almost looks like a white, smoky, small human floating in and out of frame on the left side of the video. The lamp, I think, was being carried by the tour guide because it's very dark down there. There's the red light for, like, the ambiance, but it's pretty pitch black down there. Because it kind of looked like – I saw the, like, shadowy figure thing, Mm -hmm. and it looked like they were carrying the lamp, and I was like, how? That doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it was kind of a mindfuck for me. I, I, I replayed that a thousand times, and it was one that I didn't notice before. And then there's another one that I think I sent you. Oh, it's a static shot, a static video looking out the window in the basement to the courtyard. Another shot of that. And if you look, there's a dark shadow figure that peeks through the edge of the window and then pops back out. 
Yeah. You saw that? Yeah. It's like someone's peeking. That could have been a human. Yeah. Any of these could have been human, but for me to go back and realize things that I didn't notice before was pretty chilling. I the thought way I was the collars done. popped out kind of looks it looks like period clothing. <laughs> period clothing. Seriously, uh I'm a little unsettled. I thought I was done with my story and then today I was like, "Oh, let me see if I can find those pics for Santa." And I was going through and I was like, "What in the fresh hell is this?" Cuz the only one that I've ever talked about with anyone is the one with the dark figure darting past the window. It's just all kinds of tea. So that is the story of the tragically infamous Sorrel Weed House. I hope you enjoyed that. Hell yeah. We love a firsthand account. And I had a ghost you know, book as one of my sources. Hell this is yeah. Savannah with the text by Malcolm Bell Jr. and photography by N. Jane Isley. This is a book we've had in our house for years, and I've never gone through it. And it had some really cool, interesting tidbits, um, not necessarily about the sorrel weed, but just about Savannah. Highly recommend. Also listened to some really awesome podcasts that covered the sorrel weed house in detail and obviously watched BuzzFeed Unsolved and read several articles. So I, I did the damn research this time. She did her a deep reels. dive. I did me a deep dive. So I love a firsthand account, um, and that is why we want to go on some ghost trips so that we can have some firsthand accounts. Mm -hmm. Coming soon, 2023, is our firsthand account of the Bell Witch Cave. So stay tuned for that. Tuned. Stay tuned. (laughs) Stay tuned. Go out and stay tuned. (laughs) Tune in in June. Because we're going to have a first-hand account of the Bell Witch Cave. I'm manifesting that right here now. Yes, for the love of God, please let it be open and let the stars align for the love of God. Yes, <laughs> We didn't get Lord. to make it last year. Ugh. Yes, Lord, we're going. And for the I'm love of God, help us, help us get to Cryptid Bash. We really want to go to Cryptid Bash. Yes, help us. We really want to go to Moth Boys Cryptid Bash um, and support them and just like have fun over there. And yeah, we want to go. So if y'all want us to go help, keep watching and liking and engaging with us and leaving reviews on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, commenting on YouTube, any amount of engagement. If you want to join our Patreon, that helps immensely with that. But yeah, any little bit of support along the way is going to help us go on these ghost trips and bring some firsthand accounts. Amen to firsthand accounts. <laughs> yes. Well, yeah, we'll have to go to the Sorrel Weed House together soon because... I want to. I don't think you were able to stick around after... Mm-mm. Too long after no, the wedding. No, I had to go. I had to go on back. Uh, we ended up... Sonata and I went by Tybee Island like early that morning and we were there for like two hours and then we like drove back to Nashville. But yeah, I'm really sad that I missed that for sure because that would have been awesome. But so Sonata fun. wouldn't have done it because she she's, she does not like scary stuff. Like mm-hmm. she won't do it. She can't. She won't. And there ain't no way I could have dragged her in there. And you got ain't to go no to Tybee, which is so much fun. So Yes, and I'd never been. And I want to go back. When we go... When we go to the Sorrel Weed House, we ought to go over to the island. We ought to. Well, we ought enough to about the that. Beach. Santa, yeah. can you 
tell me about the story that had you shook this week? Yes, I can. And this one is, this is a type of story that I ain't never done for y'all. So, Mm -hmm. I'm excited. What is it? So, Hunty, have you ever heard of the Alaska Triangle? (gasps) Yes! Oh my God. Was this on Discovery Plus? Because I watched like two of the episodes. Um, Yes, Hunty. I will go ahead and tell you my main source for this story is a show on Discovery Plus called The Alaska Triangle and particularly episode one because I did not know anything about the Alaska Triangle until I started watching that. And I was like, oh my God, so I'm going to be watching more episodes and shit. I might come in a future episode and talk about some other things that have happened in the triangle. But this, in this episode, I'm mainly focusing on some like plane disappearances and plane crashes and things of that nature. So the Alaska Triangle is very similar to the Bermuda Triangle which we have heard most famously of Amelia Earhart disappearing in uh, many years ago. But the Alaska Triangle is an area of wilderness that connects Anchorage in the south, Juneau in the southeast panhandle, and Barrow, which is a small town in the north coast, forming a triangular area of land. So this land that exists inside of this triangle is mainly just like vast wilderness, snowy mountain peaks and things like that. The Alaska Triangle has actually had more disappearances than the Bermuda Triangle. What? I didn't know that. Yeah, Yeah, I didn't know that either. More than 2,000 airplanes have crashed or disappeared in the last 20 years. I don't like that. I don't like that. But the the main plane disappearance that I'm going to be talking about here. It's known as the Missing Douglas, which was a C-54 plane that went missing on January 26, 1950. And this was a military transport plane. So on January 26, 1950, this plane went missing two hours into its flight. This was supposed to be an eight-hour flight from the Elmdorf Military Air Base to Montana. So the plane was carrying 36 passengers and eight crew members. So 44 people total were on this plane. The last known contact with this plane from the air traffic control people was in a town called Snag, Alaska. Is this all landlocked, this whole flight pattern? Was it supposed to go over water at any point? I don't think so. I don't think this particular one was. There's another disappearance that happened or there were not another disappearance, but there was another crash that happened that was actually more on like the Pacific area oh, okay. of it. It's possible that it could have been over that water area where they actually disappeared, but mm-hmm. but they were last heard of in Snag, Alaska, which is a landlocked area. And so a little bit about the Elmendorf Military Air Base, that is in Anchorage, Alaska, and that was built to protect the northern edge of the U.S. from Russia because Anchorage, Alaska is about 56 miles from Russia, technically. Um, That's crazy. Yeah, and back then it was the Soviet Union. Yeah. So there was a lot of conflict between Russia and the U.S. and a lot of competition uh, Mm -hmm. in regards to 
nuclear weapons and things like that. And just so you know, the disappearance of this plane in 1950, that was the same year that the U.S. was about to have its first functioning hydrogen bomb, too, which I'm sure Russia probably had some kind of intel on the fact that they were working on that. Yeah. When the Douglas was officially considered missing, 7,000 ground troops and 85 air troops were deployed to search for them. They were searching really hard because it was 44 people. You know, that was a lot of people on one plane. And actually, um, one of the search and rescue planes that was looking for them crashed in the southern part of the Alaska Triangle. No one died. The pilot ended up walking 13 miles to the, the nearest highway to get help, and then everyone was rescued, thank goodness. Oh, but God. That happened while they were trying to search for, for the other plane. And then on February 7th, which was over a week after the disappearance of the Douglas, a C-47 crashed in the southern part of the search grid, and no fatalities happened in that when either. And it was never disclosed how or why that plane crashed either. We don't know if they were trying to just withhold that info or anything, but it just, mm-hmm. they crashed. A week later, a third search plane crashed near Snag, where the Douglas was last heard from. So it seems like this area is, ugh, there's something going on in that area. Yeah. Because it's like, somebody does not want these planes in the air, in that area. <laughs> and then... A fourth plane crashed, but this one was a B-36, which is a nuclear bomber, and it was out on a simulation exercise. This plane lost all power while flying back into the Alaska Triangle from the Pacific. So they did go over water, but they weren't over water when they crashed. They had gotten successfully back into the Triangle. Um, and their power went out? Yeah, lost <laughs> lost all power. And then they crashed into Mount Colligate oh in British Columbia, which is part of Canada. Yeah. No. Oh, my God. New fear unlocked. Holy shit. Yeah. And the nuclear bomb that was on board was lost and never found. Oh, whoa, so, whoa, 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 whoa. It was carrying a nuclear weapon, and it's gone? Yeah. In what universe does a plane crash, a plane that has a bomb on it, yeah. And it doesn't detonate. What? It, that's pretty crazy. Yeah, because they were out on a simulation exercise for, you know, what would we do in the event of having oh to use this God. bomb? Holy shit. You know, that's pretty crazy. It's like, it's. I think everybody survived except the bomb. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> so there was another plane disappearance that has never been explained to. In October 1972... A plane carrying the leader of the House of Representatives, Hale Boggs, and some other members of government disappeared along the southern edge of the Alaska Triangle. And it disappeared into the ether, just like the Douglas, and was never found. So, oh, my God. Yeah. So we've got, we've got planes disappearing. We've got planes crashing all over the place. Things just going missing. And there are three theories as to why this could be happening well four technically one is russia involvement that's like the first logical explanation is russia having some kind of greater technology at the time 
to be able to interfere. That's the first theory. Second theory is the electromagnetic anomalies that just happen in that area that could have manipulated the navigation instruments that -hmm. were used by the pilots, causing them to veer off course. And on the show, The Alaska Triangle, there was a man, I forgot his name off the top of my head, but he's a he's a very experienced pilot and he was showing how electromagnetic frequencies can affect a compass Mm -hmm. and can make it just kind of start going all crazy directions. And if you're in midair and you have a compass going crazy directions or other navigation instruments kind of switching your route up, it can have you veering into a mountain for all you know. You know what I mean? Seriously. It can have you nosediving into the ocean. You never know. So that's one thing is the electromagnetic frequencies that are just different up in that area in Alaska. And then, of course, there's the theories of UFOs being involved. And there's this group called MUFON, Mm -hmm. a mutual UFO network. And they have some theories about how the UFOs could be involved in this. So they've actually received a lot of different reports over the years of UFO sightings in the area. So in 2003, there was a reported sighting of a mass of UFOs about 200 miles from Fairbanks, Alaska. And then in 1986, the crew of a Japanese airline allegedly saw two UFOs trailing their plane in the middle of the Alaska Triangle. And then February 10th, 1950, only a week Almost two weeks after the Douglas went missing, a top secret intelligence report reveals that UFOs were stalking U.S. naval planes days before the Douglas vanished. So that report came out on the 10th, but this happened days before the Douglas vanished. UFOs stalking the naval planes. Oh my God. The first encounter. I know. It's like, it's like tea upon tea. I'm Um, scalding in this tea. (laughs) So much tea. The first encounter was above the naval station of Kodiak, 250 miles southwest of the Douglas departure point in Anchorage, which was Elmendorf Air Base. Mm -hmm. In that encounter, a Navy pilot witnessed a UFO going 1,800 miles per hour on his radar. At the time, there were no known aircrafts that could go that fast. Excuse me? Yeah. What the fuck? Imagine being up in the air and vulnerable and like there's something chasing after you and you're just alone up there. Seriously. Hoping that the air traffic control people can hear you as you're like trying to communicate what you're seeing. Right. And that rate of speed, like that's way too many miles per hour. What the hell? That's a bit too much MPH. (laughs) So, so the UFO that the Navy pilot saw suddenly vanished and reappeared two hours later, trailing the Navy plane again. It followed for a few minutes and then vanished again. And so this Kodiak encounter happened four days before the Douglas disappearance, by the way. That's the actual number, four days. This top secret naval report was so important at the time that 36 copies were sent to various security agencies like the FBI, CIA, Air Force Intelligence, and the Department of State. People mm-hmm. were like, this is, a, this is a security issue. Yeah. This report about the Kodiak UFO encounter never saw the light of day, though, until the 1970s, when a Freedom of Information request forced the release of a redacted version of the report. 
it was sent to all these intelligence agencies, but was actually kept under yeah. lock and key. Two days after the Douglas disappearance was another UFO sighting, this time above Elmendorf, where the Douglas had originally departed from. An Elmendorf commander spotted three orange objects above the airbase, and they hovered at about 2,500 feet and then vanished. I'm just going to tell you, I don't like any of this. If this is, like we say, aliens come come and get me, but like, maybe don't. Yeah, at least not while I'm up in the air myself. Don't be yeah, chasing don't come me. for me like that. We're not playing hide and seek in these airwaves. <laughs> no. Plus, I'm not intelligent enough for y'all to want anything with me like that. You that's, know what I mean? That's incorrect, but I get what you mean. No, like, but it's like, I'm not the one you want. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not <laughs> the one. You would do like a hair flip, like, me? <laughs> Moi? Oh, my God. It'd be very Moira Rose moment. Yeah, oh, it would. It actually you want would. to see me? <laughs> Alexis <laughs> David <laughs> so the lieutenant colonel filed an unidentified flying object report after that some think that the Douglas may have actually been taken by a UFO like the plane itself taken and the logic behind that is the use of a tractor beam, which is a super strong energy beam that can pull anything into its orbit. Oh like, my God, no. it. It's like a grappling hook, basically. And that one, I mean, that one's kind of extreme, but it's also like scientifically could be. It's a valid theory. It is theorized that the Douglas C-54 was overpowered by superior technology, like a tractor beam, and that's why it has never been found. So in October 1978 in Australia, Frederick Valentich, a pilot, took off in his plane and then described an unidentified object above him at about 1,000 feet, moving really fast. He saw a green light and metallic shiny appearance on the outside of the unidentified object. Hmm. A few minutes later, Frederick says to the air traffic controllers, that strange aircraft is hovering on top of me again. It is hovering and it is not an aircraft. Then Yikes. the last thing heard was clashing metal. And then the signal was lost. He disappeared, never to be seen again. Oh, and it's theorized that a UFO attached itself to his plane somehow and like pulled it off into the ether or used a tractor beam as the other theory states. So... A few weeks after the Douglas disappeared in Alaska, there were possible signs that the plane might still be out there somewhere. On February 1st and 2nd in 1950, there were faint radio signals heard containing people talking, but they couldn't make out what they were saying, and they were signals from the plane. The radio wow. messages came through for days after the Douglas disappearance, but gradually became more distant until they stopped getting them. The, the last theory as to what could have happened to the Douglas is that it flew into a portal, which is a gateway to another dimension created by electromagnetic forces. And in this theory, the radio signals would be sounds coming from another dimension. And the theory suggests that the portal is powered by the electromagnetic frequencies of the Alaska Triangle, which kind of goes back to earlier talking about the electromagnetic anomalies that exist there that could have just caused him to crash. But beyond that, it could have actually just created a portal. 
All of these options suck. I'm so scared right now. <sighs> whether it's Russia, whether it's electromagnetic frequencies fucking with your navigation instruments, whether it's UFOs, aliens manipulating your shit or attaching itself to you and dragging you off into the ether, or whether it's the electromagnetic frequencies creating a portal or a vortex that you would end up going through and entering a new dimension. Any of those options are pretty shitty. I and the Russia adult. one is actually the most scary one to me <laughs> because if all of this was Russia this whole time, imagine what they're capable oh. of doing now. If they were that advanced then to be able to manipulate all of these crashes and disappearances and orchestrate all of that, they, mm-hmm. the power they hold. Same with UFOs if, and aliens. If, if, that, if it was UFOs or aliens, it's like, wow, they've just been like watching in the wings, waiting. Waiting to come and get me. Yeah. They're going to take us up on the request. I'm still saying come on, though. <laughs> come on and get me. <laughs> they don't want nothing with me to hurt me. And, hey, maybe even some of these people that they've disappeared or brought into their dimension or whatever, like, maybe those people didn't actually even get harmed. Like, maybe they're thriving. Like, if they went to a different parallel dimension via a portal... What are they doing? Are they in, are they living their best life? Did they become aliens? Did they go to heaven? Did they go to hell? They go to heck. Like where are they? I need answers. What if they actually came back at some point but never aged and just had to like start over with new ideas? Wait, did you see that show on Netflix about that? Manifest. Yes. If it's a manifest yeah, situation, just then... like manifest. <sighs> Yeah, that's crazy. That makes me kind of want to watch that show. I I only watched the first episode once and I was like, oh, this is interesting, but I just never. Literally the exact same here. I didn't finish it. I watched one or two. I wasn't that into it, but I now I kind of want to watch it because I want to see what their theory is as to like why that really happened. Right. Um, And if it lines up with these theories. But yeah, that's my story. Like, what do you think? What do you think it is? Do you think it's man-made or electromagnetic or aliens? Listen to your heart. (laughs) When it's coming for you. I don't remember how the words go. Anyways, okay, you made a good point about Russia. Obviously, that's terrifying. I don't know if Russia is that much more advanced. I don't, I don't, at least I pray to God that that's not what it is. That was kind of a theory that I had when I was telling my Phoenix Light story in episode one, that it could have been military intervention from one of our, you know, enemies, if you will. So that's, that's fucking terrifying. Even more terrifying to me than that is the portals. I think aliens is the least scary to me because I'm just waiting for the other shoe to drop on that front. It's, I mean, aliens have to be real. I have so many alien stories that I can't wait to cover. I've read so much on the topic of aliens because it fascinates the shit out of me. I'm just like, we just, we really do need them to come on and we'll just, you know, we'll have a little show and tell. Okay, what you got? Oh, you can do that? Okay. Oh, what what does that organ do? You feel me? Like, I want to know all their tea. No, not with like that organ like, do. What do you want with my organs? Like there have been stories I've seen 
and heard on either Reddit or other podcasts where like one, for example, there was a woman who was going to have a C-section or something and they were like, oh, one of your tubes is missing. And she's like, excuse me, I never had surgery to have that removed. Where the fuck did her ovary and her and her tubes go like what people have random implants in their bodies after an extreme episode of sleep paralysis for example or so they think i've seen those documentaries too with the implants oh my god it's it's okay aliens my, my point is aliens to me they exist our our galaxy is too vast for there not to be other life out there i think humans are a little bit little bit cocky thinking that we're the end all be all Mm -hmm. um i do believe there has to be alternate parallel universes and portals to those universes and that brings on the whole conversation of like the time space continuum and where is heaven where is hell are they in separate portals i don't know it's just a whole rabbit hole that cumulatively going down any one of those avenues russia aliens portals they all those options suck they all suck i'm already terrified of flying and i know you don't like to fly either and i just have to say i think it's so crazy that and i'm so glad that you did cover this because i've been waiting for you to cover this kind of topic i think it's so funny that your story had to do with planes crashing and i mentioned yellow jackets at the beginning of the yeah, episode the synchronicity <laughs> yeah it's giving buzz 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 <laughs> it is it's giving yellow jackets i don't know what do you think what do you think do you think it's russia or some other country i think some of these things are russia like i i honestly do because the proximity to russia it's just like it's very close and because yeah. of the conflicts with Russia then? Because they sold us Alaska, if I'm not mistaken, and they want Alaska back. Oh, really? That's the word on the street, anyway. I don't know. Oh, well, you're that not could be That could be objection hearsay, but, th- yeah, it is geographically not so far. And no. 56 miles, like. <laughs> I did not, not realize that. That is insane. Yeah. Just got to pass through some water. Santa, did you get an A in geography? Because I bet your ass you did. I actually did. I I was like the best student in my geography class in seventh grade. Okay. I had like a really, really, really good memory at the time about like mm-hmm. memorizing what was what mm-hmm. geographically. And like my That's teacher awesome. actually used to get kind of annoyed with me because every time she would ask like a, you know, a discussion question of the class, I would always be like, <clears throat> And then literally it was like, she would be like anybody but Santa. She said that one time, anybody but Santa. And I was like, fuck you. Where's Egypt? Uh, <sighs> some kids like, I think it's in South America. No, you're wrong. No, it's it's in, Africa. in Africa. It's in Africa, you idiot. You idiot. No, that's really actually very impressive. I don't remember what I generally scored in geography. I think I probably got B's. I was very interested in it, but... Primarily in school, I was really good at uh, literature class, English class. Yeah. Not good at math at all. I can't Same. even. I was never good at math math and sciences classes, but I was yeah. always really good with English classes. And geography was just kind of a random thing. Mm-hmm. So when the teacher was like, anybody but Santa, I was like, let me have this. 
Because I feel dumb as fuck me. in my other classes. So just like let me let me feel smart in this class, please. Like, <laughs> like let, <laughs> let me have something for the love of God. I felt so dumb in my math classes always, and then in chemistry, actually, it wasn't really so much science classes. It was just chemistry specifically because when you had to do the chemical equations, like I just could not grasp that at all. And I struggled so hard and I felt like so stupid. Like I felt like I needed to go to like Sylvan learning center or something like, cause Same. I just genuinely could not do it. And my teacher was always just like, it's not that hard. And I was like, fuck you. No, it is yes, that it hard. Is. Ask, ask Jesse Pinkman. And also <laughs> like my dad used to be a, <laughs> Jesse, we have to cook. Uh, my dad used to be a chemical engineer, and he's smart as fuck. And I did not live up to his standards when it came to chemistry class, and especially junior year. Yeah, junior year is when in my school when we took chemistry, and spring semester was like a whole new level compared to fall semester. And during my spring break, my grandmother passed away. She was only seventy nine, and it was a very long, drawn out dying process and it was very traumatic and that's why I have like a death phobia I guess but like that rocked my mental health so bad that I couldn't bear the thought of even going to chemistry class it was the last thing on my mind I think I passed that class by the skin of my teeth I think I got a C I think I got a C in chemistry it's hard I have mad respect for people who are good at that stuff and math too really math I get I understand now more than I used to, obviously, but back then I was like, how the fuck is this relevant to me? Like, I'll be honest, I still haven't used the Pythagorean theorem in anything that I do in my life that I know of. Um, Don't need it to balance a checkbook, et cetera. But I had trouble with math primarily because of my pride, because even though I sat in the front seat, like the front row, front seat of the front row, my teacher in freshman year of high school used a red marker, which is just a travesty. Yeah. Even from that short distance, the board was as pink as this purpley pink backdrop thing. I could not see for shit. And I was too prideful to admit that I needed glasses. And well, that's when dumb I got glasses, to use a red marker. It is so dumb, but I really should have advocated for myself and spoken up, even though I already had braces and I thought I would look extra not cute with glasses. I should have spoken up because that cost me my grade. I I could have grasped it, but it's really difficult when first and foremost, you have ADHD and your brain's thinking about a zillion different things, but then you can't see. So you have to go off of what you can kind of hear because your brain is, like I said, all over Mm -hmm. the place. So I was like, you know what? I'm just making up the rules as I go. (laughs) But good for you making those A's in geography class. Geography. Yeah. So we should end the episode soon. Yeah, we should. Okay. Again, Santa, that story was incredible. I really hope we can do more on the Alaska Triangle because that series is so long. There's a theory, and I kind of believe this, that Bigfoot and other cryptids, I think they are interdimensional beings. That's why there's no evidence of some of these animals, like no carcasses and stuff, you know? So I think the alien and Bigfoot thing kind of go hand in hand. I'm interested to see more of the show and see like what their take on Bigfoot is, too. 
Oh, yeah. Definitely. Yep. Cool. Well, that was a great story, Santa, and I hope you choose to do more stories like that in the future. Pepper them in every yeah. now and then. I need to get back on my UFO bullshit and do another one for y'all. Yeah. I guess that's our show. I guess that's our show. Yeah. Thanks for listening. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in. Remember to tune in in June for the Bell Witch. Yeah, tune in in, in June. Stay tuned. Yeah. <laughs> Stay tuned. Okay. All right. We love you guys. Bye. Love you. Bye. Like and subscribe. Thank you so much for tuning into Shook. New episodes of Shook drop every other Wednesday on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Soon to be wherever you find your podcasts. Check out our show notes for more information on this week's episode, our social links, and more. Until next time, stay shook. Hey, do you have a personal paranormal encounter that you'd like to share with us? Visit our website, shookpodcast.com, to fill out our contact form. Or you can send us an email at shookparanormalpod at gmail.com.